Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Growth Farm Production. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Having an excellent buyer experience is a key contributor to driving revenue success. But how do you engage buyers and provide that optimal experience? Salespeople often hate their CRM. Why? Because they are hard to use, difficult to customize, and expensive to maintain. This means leads and opportunities don't get updated. Things get missed and sales can suffer. Insightly is the modern CRM that teams love. Easy to use, flexible enough to support your unique needs and scales with you as you grow. This helps you sell smarter, grow faster and build lasting customer relationships. Insightly is trusted by more than a million users worldwide. For more information, visit insightly.com forward slash get insightly. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Samir Smych, the CEO and founder at GetAccept, shares how a digital sales room empowers teams to engage and understand the buyer from opportunity to signed deal. So please take a listen and learn how to engage your buyer where and how they want to be engaged. So super excited to be here today with Samir Smych, the founder and CEO of GetAccept. For those of you who may not be familiar with GetAccept, GetAccept is an all-in-one sales platform that empowers revenue teams to increase win rates by engaging and understanding buyers from opportunity to signed deals. So welcome, Samir, and thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to learn more about your journey and just learn from you and your experience. Super, and thank you so much for having me. Uh, wonderful to be here today and talk about this so interesting topic for us, of course. <laughs> awesome, thank you. So so let's talk a little bit about your career journey. You know, prior to founding Get Accept, um, I think it's over seven years ago. Yeah, it so is. So maybe can you share a little bit more about your background, your career journey? Of course. And kind of you know, prior to get accept. Of course, no time flies. So when you say seven <laughs> years, it feels like, yeah, I got old. Well, maybe I have. <laughs> no, but I, I come from a background. I'm a mechanical engineer from the beginning. Uh, uh-huh. So uh, growing up and calculating a lot of things during my during my exams there, but I found out that that isn't too interesting for me. So I started to look into like the business and and commercial side of things. So what happened is that I by some reason happened to end up on a CRM company called Lime Technologies here in, in Sweden. And we were competing quite a lot with Salesforce and, and, and similar companies. And I was a consultant who came out and implemented all these CRMs um, and the tool set that the, all the sales reps were using. And everything from like super small companies, two, three users to like big companies with several hundred users. So that was how I came in contact with with sales, to to be honest. I haven't done too much sales myself before that. Um, And that is how I got introduced, but also learned a lot about what is a good sales rep really doing and how are they running their deals and what what makes success, etc. 
so so that is my that is the life prior to get accept. That was also <laughs> where I understood that I that I wanted to work with something connected to sales in a way. But then before starting get accept, I actually came in contact with product because as I was implementing these CRMs and some sales reps, they can sometimes like sell something that you maybe can't really develop with the product <laughs> that you have. And uh, But I was always eager to, to deliver on that. So since our solution was so adaptable, if you could, could write a couple of lines of code, you could actually build some things to, to really adapt, which I did. But then I also realized that I was doing the same thing over and over. So why not build it into the product? And I was starting to like push those ideas to the product department and try to like make them into some kind of epics where I described why, what was the reason for us building this? What's the ROI? How much can we earn if we like build these things? And then uh, from from doing that for a year or so, uh, someone said to me, but hey, Samir, you're, you're more or less doing a, a product management role also. And that was where I got into becoming the VP of product at that company. Running that for a couple of years, uh, learned that if you build a really good product in combination with sales teams, you can really mm. do amazing work. Uh, and then I took a lot of that experience and put it into Get Accept. And the main reason was I just felt like really good sales reps are doing so many good things when it comes to communication, engaging, being, building those relationships, understanding stakeholder structures, um, not being pushy, but actually building around helping people. And I thought that became more and more hard when you couldn't meet with people since more and more was done through meetings like this, even pre-COVID, and, and you did it through email inboxes. And, and that to me isn't communicative or, or engaging at all. So I was thinking like, okay, but if we create something like Get Accept, a digital sales room where you can meet and where you can communicate and where you can engage, where you can understand the, understand the buyer, yeah, then maybe that's something that, that people want. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that, definitely. It's getting, um, you know, the buyer experience being more of that human to human, right? Humans selling to humans and humans are yeah. buyers. So amazing. I love that. Um, you know, when you launched Get Accept back in 2015, you know, what was the, you know, touched on, you touched on this a little bit, but, you know, what was the original vision for the company? Like, was there some, you know, sort of aha moment kind of led you to say, hey, I'm going to go and start the company? You know, what was that vision like and how has it evolved, I guess, over time? Yeah, no, but uh, good question. Like, the vision has always been a digital sales room, uh, which then, of course, that has evolved over time. But but in the beginning, it was like, hey, this will be the place, more or less like the CRM between the buyer and the seller. And the whole thing was mm -hmm. about making it a really good buyer experience. And we wanted to take as much as possible from the B2C way of buying things, that you yeah. should feel that you are, as a, as, a, as a buyer, you are the one deciding when to move forward. You're the one requesting things. You're the one communicating when, when you want to communicate, not when you as a seller have a slot in your calendar. And we thought of like let's let's make a room where the where the seller can make everything available, content, uh, customer cases, and themselves. To be honest, because the buyer is often not buying when you want to sell; they are buying maybe when they sit in the sofa and want to read that proposal <laughs> or whatever it is. And yeah. if they have a question, why not be able to chat at that moment? Not meaning that you as a seller need to work around the clock, but if you also have your phone next to you and it pings and it says like, hey, 
why why can't we buy X or why can we include that? Or if I just get that extra discount, can we then move forward? Uh, and we thought like that would be that would be the place where where all that happens. But uh, in the early days, um, everyone liked this. That was why we came into Y Combinator as one of the companies in in the batch of Winter 16. But when we came out to the market, everyone said, wow, this is really great, but not for us right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I see you have this po part of building a proposal that we really need like to make that beautiful and nice. And you also have the part about signing contracts. So if you ask our like early days customers, they would say, hey, I bought it because it was a very nice modern e-signature tool where I also could add videos, for example, to explain certain details in the contract instead of writing very long emails about that specific topic or specific page, for example. So yeah, and then of course COVID happened, things accelerated, now everyone wants a digital sales room. So yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's an it's easier easier to pitch today. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I love that. You know, you talked a little bit about this, you know, just the revenue process, right? When I think about revenue today, it's increasingly complex, you know, especially as it relates to driving that frictionless, seamless experience, right, for the buyer. Mm -hmm. You know, how have you seen this? You touched on this a little bit, but how have you seen this sort of mm -hmm. evolve over the past, you know, maybe five years, especially with just the explosion of information and data that's available to us, right, as buyers? No, but I think, just as you said, I think more and more people want to buy as it was a consumer. And, and as you said, also, you have a lot of that information provided in different ways. But as a seller, you always like guard your information. And, and I often say, or, or, or the, 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 the old story is like, don't give them the proposal, because if you have that given them that before having like a commit, they have all information that they need. And then, then they can just sit and discuss on their side, more or less. Uh, where I now say send them that like as early as possible, as long as you have control of it, as long as you can understand how they are consuming it or are they inviting other people so that you then can connect with them, but also allowing them to connect when they are actually consuming that. So I think from the early days, you put yourself in, as a seller in, in the center and then you 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 drive the deal where I think now it's more about putting that, of course, customer in the center and enabling them to get all that information in, in a very nice way where they don't, they don't need to hunt, hunt that information on different pages, in their email inboxes, in their, I don't know, uh, where, where they're hunting all information. So if you can provide that, that will then enable them to buy in a much easier way and, and you will be seen as the one helping them to take a decision. Um, I think many people forget that, like, I mean, if you have identified someone who wants to buy, they want to take a decision, just make it easy for them to do that and, and, and uh, try to understand who to talk to by understanding the stakeholder structure, for example, because now it's, I think it's about 11 persons in each deal uh, <laughs> now in B2B. So you need to understand who to talk to and, and, and enable them to ask you questions along the way. So I think yeah. that has changed a lot, like seeing it more from a perspective of you not being a center driving and pushing the deal, but actually being there to help them um, and enabling. It's, it's, and it's, to be honest, quite scary um, because as a seller, you, you want to be in control. And, and um, yeah, 
that becomes scary when, when you aren't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think you could touch on this a little bit as well, but you know, what are you seeing when you talk to customers and, and you see other organizations, like what do you see them doing right? And then maybe some of the things that they're doing wrong when it comes to managing this buyer experience. Mm. No, but I think, I think the ones who do it wrong are the ones who even now after COVID don't realize that they need to change. Um, and, and I mean, change is hard and that often takes time. But, but I think the ones who are doing it really wrong are the one, okay, but now things are opening up again. We managed through COVID. Let's now, let's now just continue as it was before. Um, mm-hmm. I think those, those will, <laughs> I was about to say die in the long run, but, but like so many people and co- uh, companies did change during COVID. So I think there will be a new shift. And then on top of that, we have new kind of buyers being the younger younger crowd mm-hmm. who will demand a new setup of how you are buying things and who you talk to. So I think the ones who are doing it wrong is the ones who sit with their arms in the as a cross and, and just not changing at all and not like, yeah, using that different tech to, to actually evolve their organization. Uh, so I think that that's the, that's the one who will fall behind because now things has moved so fast. Like you often say, like things that should happen in a decade happen over one year more or less. So you you're not only one year back, you're a decade back in in one year. So I think you you need to really understand that as as a as a company or a founder or 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 yeah a sales organization and embrace things. Um, uh, being on the techie side and understanding where where do I need, which hole do I need to plug and where can we involve uh, as a company, and the ones who, of course doing it right is the ones who are embracing new technology. I think mm-hmm. I saw a slide uh, comparing like what what did people use 2020 versus 2021, mm-hmm. and it was said like in 2020 the the cool things was like. Um, uh, let me see here. I have this slide. Uh, I have it here. The 2020 were like call recording was really cool in 2020. Uh, actually, contract and signatures were like, oh, it was starting to get used. And 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 uh, things like LinkedIn Sales Nav- Navigator in 2020 was like, wow, that was that was cool. But then in 2021, all of that was laggard <laughs> things that <laughs> that was just standard. And things like more advanced things like AI and chorus and recording and and getting understanding of how you're doing your sales calls was like in the middle of that, not even being on the on the on the early adopter side. Mm-hmm. So I think things it's moving so fast. So you need to you need to adopt, test, and see what what sticks on your organization, and be yeah. and be very open to those changes, but with some carefulness because. We also know that you can't just push new tools in the whole time, uh, mm-hmm. which means you need you need to vet them and maybe have a good sales enablement org in front of everything that that puts up a tool set that you can continue to use uh, and not just flush in new tools all the time. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Get Accept because you know Get Accept takes a di- this digital sales room right platform approach. You connect insights, collateral, videos, and then all of those integrations across the buyer experience. Mm-hmm. So how does Get Accept you know help businesses provide that connected experience for not just their internal team but also for their customers? No, but I mean when we built it, we we said uh, we we want to be the AE's best friend. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and really cater for that user 
and really build the ROI around them. Like you, sh you should more or less get started in one day and get the ROI and get the feeling that, oh, I got something back. Um, and we managed to do that, uh, but we also saw that marketing team got interested because they wanted to understand what are our sales reps using for kind of content and what is working. So we started to build out a content library where you can host your content and where you also can see which one, which of the contents is used, which of the content leads to engagement mm -hmm. and in the long run, which contents is used in deal rooms where we actually get a closed signed contract in the end. Meaning like, hey, videos are maybe used and if we post videos about how the integration works, we can see that that actually leads to more more closed deals, for example, because that's mm -hmm. a tricky part of explaining the sales, like how our how we can connect in our tool, for example. So that was really interesting to see. That wasn't uh, uh, something that we thought in the beginning that we will cater for the for the marketing budget also. Um, mm -hmm. So that was fun, and I think the whole sales enablement crowd also now as that has become. Uh, a need in more or less any any company, the one who's yeah. coaching the the the, the teams, um, and to understand okay which reps are actually proceeding very well and what are they doing? How do they build up the digital sales room? Because the room also becomes a little bit of the process. Yeah. Thinking of like I have maybe one room and we have a template for that, and if I use that, it's for the enterprise deals for a certain industry, let's say, mm -hmm. and you can have two different of those and more or less A-B test those two and see, okay, if we have this content, we have these customer cases, what happens? Do they engage with that and build out the process that then works so that you can onboard and yeah, coach and, and get people up and running quicker. Uh, so it's it's really spread now to, to different parts of the organization, I think. And I think now, especially being the last day of the month, everyone wants to <laughs> understand what's in the pipe, uh, what are we closing? So I think the managers, um, get accepted has become a little bit of the manager's best friend, at least on the end of the month, because uh, they often come back and say to us like, hey, get accepted is more or less the true pipeline. Um, the CRM is maybe what what we put up, and then you have the gut feeling of the rep in there, and then in get accept we go in and see, hey, 500k in 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 our CRM, 350 in closing in get accept, and only 250 of those has been active in the last two three days, which means we will most likely not close more than that. So that has become quite of a fun part also to be able to help. Um, and we use it ourselves, of course. Uh, so that's quite fun to see um, how how the differ, differ different uh, pipes uh, evolve and what what's the most true in in the end of the month. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, you know, I, I get accept. I saw has been recognized by G two right with a number of awards in the leader category, the best results, and the fastest implementation category. Yep. And I love G2, right? Because it's just such great recognition because it comes directly from the actual users. So first, mm. congratulations. I think that's amazing. Thanks. Um, you know, as as a leader in the space, you know, what is your philosophy around product development? And, mm. you know, how has that product kind of differentiation helped in accelerating your revenue growth? To be honest, like in the early days, we were, we even if I come from product, we were very sales-led. Um, so actually, we were like three developers and 20 reps doing sales <laughs> in the early days, and everyone was laughing at us and saying like, hey, that's that's 
quite odd, to be honest, for being a product company. <laughs> um, so, so in the early days, I mean, uh, a lot was pushed uh, in a way where we, we wanted to get as much feedback to, to build out the product. Um, but uh, one of the things that we always had as a, as a rule was that we never build for specific cases. Uh, as, as a philosophy of building product, like independent, more or less, I think we have it written somewhere in, in the early days, like independent of how big the deal is, we should never mm. ever build something that is outside of our vision, outside of our product roadmap, just to cater for a customer case. And that is something that we have been holding on to since day one. And, and I mean, in some cases, it was really hard, especially in the early days, you get a 200K dollar case and you're like, if we only add these three <laughs> things, it will just take a month, like it will be perfect. Um, and then then we just like, no, we can't, we can't build it. Like we, we said we would never build it. I think that has really helped us in the long run because now we have a broad customer base with a product that caters for many. And, and that is really helpful. For example, coming into COVID, we before COVID, we had a lot of hospitality industries using us. Um, and if, if we would cater for just that those specific yeah. cases, that would be really hard. But now, yes, that went down a little bit and other things went up during COVID. Um, so we have a very broad customer base that helps us drive revenue independent of, of more or less the market and, and how it is. Um, and even nowadays, like it's, yeah, it's going very well when it comes to those different things connected to the product. Oh, I love that. I love that. And then, you know, maybe from a customer satisfaction perspective, you know, what are the things that you feel like you've done you know, right in terms of driving customer success and driving some of that value? And then maybe how has that contributed also to retaining customers as well as expanding revenue within your customer base? I mean, from a customer, uh, we, from the day one, we, we measured the, the NPS. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that that was a really important part and we implemented uh, one of those NPS tools like, yeah, when we had a couple of customers, uh, we could have just asked them, of course, but just to get that going and we got a lot of feedback and we've tried to use that as a part of building out the product more or less uh, every time we, we, we implement something to, to listen in and how is everything things evolving. And now we have an NPS up about 55, I think it was the latest, 45 to 55, uh, everything from month to month. So it's getting there, we want up to 60, but that has always been an important part. Um, and then we also uh, ourselves, we have a customer success team running on the, on the bigger cases. And in the early days, we used customer success on any case. Like even mm -hmm. if it was the smallest one user case, we gave them white glove treatment. Uh, one to, to, of course, that, that wasn't like uh, defendable when it comes to like the, the expenses, but yeah. we got so much back from those interactions, from those teams of how to build the product. So we use that more as an as a product feedback channel maybe than, than just getting the customer up and running to understand mm -hmm. what, what holes do we need to plug um, to drive that revenue in the long run. And now, now a large part of our like, large part of our, our revenue is actually coming from a land and expand way of doing business, where we can land a small deal, uh, onboard them, and we know that it will expand, and we built out the product so it can actually land itself without any customer success, due to that we have been evolving and evolving the product over time. 
so that has helped a lot to drive the revenue uh, up. Uh, the retention is at 130 something. Wow. And then we have an S SMB uh, kind of uh, crowd. So it's, it's very high. That's great. That's really great. Um, you know, as I think about the revenue engine and then this podcast, I always hope others will be able to learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right? And power the revenue engine. So maybe from your perspective, what are the top maybe three things that have really contributed to the success, right? That GetAccept has experienced. Yeah. I think in the early days, as I said there before, we had, we had, we were quite heavy on the sales team and, 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 uh, I think that was a, a good move in many ways because we got mm -hmm. a lot of both revenue in to 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 drive the the whole ARR engine, mm -hmm. but also a lot of like customers who gave us feedback and we could mm -hmm. like quite quickly see what was sticking and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, many do maybe think like, hey, let's build that perfect product from the from the get get go, and mm -hmm. and just have those customers come in. And I, I think that is. That is, of course, what everyone wants. But I think it's quite hard. Um, so I think for for us, that has worked very well in the in the early days to 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 use sales to drive that revenue in the in the very early days. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that is that is one of the things. And uh, over time, I think uh, we, of course, now have switched more to a product first setup, mm -hmm. and 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 focusing a lot on. NPS, uh, we focus a lot on, on product metrics such as activation, uh, meaning do they activate their account and how long the time does that take? We focus a lot on um, engagement in the product. Are they mm -hmm. engaged or aren't they, aren't they on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? And we try to understand which different features that build that. So that has helped a lot to drive retention. Uh, both in a way of them expanding, but also staying. And mm -hmm. if we wouldn't have focused on that, I think it would be so hard because, I mean, if you if you start churning customers, you need to add so much to to continue to grow in the in 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 when when things come and become big. When you have one million ARR and the churn is ten percent, yeah, that's that's not too much. But when you are on twenty million, it becomes quite of a heavy heavy part of the, the ARR and you need to add so much more in the end to, to grow in the same pace. So I think those two things is, is, is key uh, from our end. Got it. Got it. Thank you. That's helpful. That's super helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, are there things that maybe you wish you knew earlier or maybe you might do differently if you could do it all over again? Maybe um, in the super early days, we, we, when we started get accept. We, we rushed very much to get it out to the customers. And, um, and much due, this is my first company that I founded. So we had, we had a certain amount of time and resources when it comes to money, since we weren't funded our, like we funded ourselves in the, in the early days. Uh, so then you need to get it out to get some money in, you know. Yeah. So now going back, maybe I... I wouldn't do it different if I was in the same situation, but if I would do it again and maybe have a little bit more revenue coming in or, or my own my own funding coming in, maybe I would have been pushing a little bit further to understand, is this really what we want to build? Like Because sometimes mm -hmm. you hit a couple of customers or you, you get a couple of customers and that's working, but then you realize, hey, maybe we should have built it differently to cater for those little bit bigger customer, cater for that specific case or mm. those kind of things. Um, 
maybe I would have done different uh, if I would start again uh, uh, from where I am today, more or less. Yeah. Uh, but then, then, th then things I think is, I mean, we got investors quite early in and um, running a business. I, I was thinking I was, uh, I was about to say I was quite young in the early days there. I, I was 30. Um, and when you get the investors, like you're, you're quite of a rookie. Um, of course, I've been doing different things before, but you think that they know so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they have a lot of portfolio companies. They have a lot of experience listening in, but many of them haven't done it themselves, to be honest. Like um, that being said, there are a lot of, I think you should use them to challenge you because mm -hmm. that is what they really can do. But you should always trust that you know your market, you know uh, the product, you know your customers, most likely at least, better mm -hmm. than anyone else. And and of course, if you get the investors, I, I love, we have super good, good investors and since day one. Uh, so you're super proud of them and, and they helped out a lot. But yeah, always trust yourself uh, because I, I can I can promise you that that most likely you know you know your crowd better than they do. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, but as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask every guest two things. One, what is the one thing about Samir that others would be surprised to learn? <laughs> and two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? Oh. Um... How um, how surprised do you want to be? I was about to say. <laughs> whatever um, you're whatever you're comfortable with sharing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but uh, I said I never did sales there in the early days, but but I actually I, I did. I I sold. I think it's it's not um, it's nothing that the police can come and get me for now, <laughs> but uh, I was so interested in skiing, um, <laughs> so. I started to like buy skis on, on online. I found like one in Austria who was selling skis. I could get them so cheap. So I started like buying skis to myself and then I sold them. And, I, and then suddenly I, I bought 10 skis and then I bought 20 <laughs> skis. And I think I was up to 50, 80, 90, 100 <laughs> skis in the end. And I, I financed like a lot of my own ski trips with my own skis and a lot of other things on that. But I never paid a single dime in tax. So... Uh, yeah, I shouldn't maybe, I think it's, it's more than 10 years ago, so it should be out <laughs> of the record. <laughs> I should be safe. No, but that, that's, um, and, and that was super fun because what I, what I liked or learned about that was that I was so passionate about skis. So I could mm. sell that to anyone, like, uh, anyone who came to look at skis, like I could like just talk about these skis and how good they were, how, and it wasn't like me, like trying to pretend something it was like yeah. oh i've just been riding them in the off like do you know how good these skis are like you can do x you can do y you can go outside of the of the of the tracks you can go inside you can do anything and when looking back at it i think i was a good sales rep based yeah. on that i was so passionate about what i was selling so that is something i always take with me like i think especially running your own business you need to be so sorry for swearing, but damn passionate about what you're doing because you will spend a lot of time. You need to sell that thing and and uh, don't think it will sell itself in the beginning. And if you are passionate about it, I know that will shine through and you will do a lot of sales yourself, even if you aren't a sales rep. Uh, yeah. So I think that is, that is one thing. Um, 
and then what's one thing you want everyone to know about you? Um, I always say I'm not a good sales rep, but apparently then I am. But, but, <laughs> but I'm, a humble, I'm a humble one. I love to share things. Um, I've been through quite a lot of when it comes to failing uh, during my time. So uh, I love to chat with other people. So if they want to connect with me, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm super open to yeah, jump on a call and share my knowledge. Uh, I know that a lot of people have helped me. We went through Y Combinator, as I said. That's an amazing network, but not everyone has that possibility. And I just, I was so happy talking to people and other entrepreneurs and founders back in the days, in my early days. So feel free to ping me uh, if you have any questions. Um, I'm, I'm, um, I love to share those kind of things. So yeah, um, humble, awesome. humble and sharing. <laughs> That's awesome. The... Yeah. Yeah. Is um, LinkedIn the best place to find you? Yeah, I think so. I think LinkedIn is the best, although it do it, sometimes I'm a bit uh, slow on responding on LinkedIn. <laughs> so try, if you want, just try an email. Uh, if you find my phone number, call me. Like um, <laughs> uh, I will, I will not share it here in the sla- in, um, <laughs> yeah. in the podcast, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you will find it if you want to because it's it's um, it's somewhere there on the web page. I know. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you're probably going to be bombarded with uh, questions. People. Re- <laughs> because you just have shared so much great, just so many great learnings, so much great insights. So I really, really appreciate your time. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to talk about these topics. Awesome. Thank you. 